Millennials are grossly underestimated. Their jobs aren't their whole world. They have options, they have the internet. Job satisfaction and strength of relationships, there ain't no app for that. Education is not a mechanical system, it's a human system. Any kind of work that's on some level predictable, then that's gonna be susceptible to artificial intelligence and, and machine learning. And that job, where you go to a building and you stay there 40 hours, and then you do that again for 40 years and then you retire, that's gone. Technology magnifies our leverage and increases our creativity. Stay hungry, stay foolish. Please wait as your individualized operating system is initiated. This is the Powerful Nonsense Podcast, guiding you through the madness of modern life. This podcast is sponsored by the University of Northampton, the first UK university to be awarded the Ashoka U Changemaker Campus status, in recognition of their commitment to social entrepreneurship. Now, here are your hosts, Wayne Ingram and Jem Yildiz. Hello, Powerful Nonsensers. Hello. We are back in your ear holes for another great episode of Powerful Nonsense. If you're listening for the first time, I am Wayne Ingram. I am Jem Yildiz. And um, we're back with another interview. Yes. This is going to be a two-parter, by the way, because there was just so much good stuff yeah. in this interview that we, we felt... It's about it was, time we actually got somebody on who actually knows about money. Right. I mean, like, knows, knows. Right. If you've been a long-term listener, in fact, not even a long-term listener, because I think one of our recent episodes was about money. Um, but if you've been listening to us for a long time, money and the relationship with money is one thing that we really do talk about a lot because we think it's very crucial to, you know, keeping up the millennial lifestyle that we that we pursue. And uh, quite often we have to put that little disclaimer of, uh, please get some <laughs> advice from a financial advisor and uh, very excited for this these next two episodes to have uh, Pete Matthew on the show who does actually legitimately know what he's talking about and in fact actually has been running a podcast for far longer than we have around money management and money issues as well. Um, so this is a two-parter. So um, again, there was a lot of stuff that was in the last episode. Uh, sorry, in the in the whole episode, which we decided it was better to break up to make sure that uh, you get the most out of it. So it's not you're not like brain dumped with everything <laughs> all in one go. It covers so many things. We talk saving, we talk student loans, we talk pensions, we talk increasing your earnings. Everything we talk about, but we're mm-hmm. backed with somebody. Who right. really knows their stuff. Right. So think of all those times we've talked about money on the podcast and you've been like, yeah, I kind of get where you're going. This is done in a much better way from uh, Pete Matthews in this episode. So um, without further ado, here is our interview part one with Pete Matthew. We talk about money a lot. We love the money. We love <laughs> the money um and uh often we have to put a disclaimer basically saying we don't really know what we're talking about with this money thing this is just a hunch but we've got a guy on today who really does know what he's talking about uh he's uh peter matthew from the meaning meaningful money podcast and he's been doing six years you've been doing the podcast now uh yeah god um well we're in 2017 yeah it's actually five years of the podcast but i've been i did sort of videos for two years before that so meaningful money's been alive for seven and a half years now incredibly wow okay so you were podcasting before it got cool 
I know. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, that's more, again, more by luck than judgment. I'd love to say I had a sort of amazing foresight about what would take off, but I just sort of fell in love with the medium myself and thought I'd have mm-hmm. a go. That's about the extent of the thought that went into it, really. I think that's kind of how we started as uh-huh. well, really, in many ways. Um, so this is probably the first money-oriented episode that we can get away with not saying, don't take this advice as gospel. What do you reckon? What do you reckon, Peter? <laughs> yeah. I, Wayne, seriously, man, somebody calls me Peter and I look around for my dad. So it's Pete. Everybody Pete, calls me okay. Pete. Right. Yeah. Sorry. Don't worry. Felt too but, serious. Um, yeah. <laughs> I know. I, I feel myself clench, uh, clench uh, when people call me Peter. I see you cross your arms. <laughs> I can see that. You. I know. <laughs> Sorry, okay. dad. Pete, Pete, what do you reckon then, Pete? Do you reckon um, they can take it as gospel? Well, Hopefully, I'm supposed to know what I'm talking about. I've been doing my, uh, I'm a chartered financial planner and nobody knows what a financial planner is. If you tell people, if anybody asks me what I do, I always say I'm a financial planner because if you say you're a financial advisor, people back away in fear in case you sell them a pension or something, right? And, And as an industry, we haven't covered ourselves in glory in many ways. We're sort of seen right. as sort of snake oil salesmen, things like that. Um, and with good reason, because historically it's been a pretty murky industry. But financial planning is less about financial products. It's not about ISAs. It's not about investments or pensions and stuff like that. It's about helping people organize their money in such a way to help them realize their life goals, really. Right. So that takes different forms at different times in people's life. But I've been doing it for 20 years, so hopefully I know uh, what I'm talking about. And um, <laughs> I am <laughs> I'm managing director of a um, financial planning practice down here in Penzance in the very far west of England. Uh, we've got uh, six advisors here, about 160 mm-hmm. million uh, under management for our clients. We've been around in business for 40-odd years. So, uh, yeah, wow. hopefully I know what I'm talking about. <laughs> so to, that, to... I'm really good at winging it. <laughs> <laughs> So to really prove just how much you know what you're talking about with money, we've got a question that we're dying to ask you, which is um, what's probably the most stupid thing you've ever spent your money on? Oh, man, alive. Um, <laughs> I'm a sucker for, for online courses. I'm not sure whether that, consider, that, that counts as stupid, but like a lot of people who do online courses, I pay for them and then don't complete them. So um, I spent a thousand quid uh, with Ramit Sethi. Oh, yeah. On okay. a copywriting course and logged in once, and it's that's still still the thing I kick myself um, <laughs> over the most. I, I think. Other than that, um, I was God, I, I was so bad with money as a kid, and it took mm-hmm. me to get married and marry a girl that was really good with money <laughs> to sort me out. Really, so I mean, I've spent just countless pounds on curry as a student and beer i mean that's you know that's been there part, part of the course beer is never but, wasted money well no exactly it's just <laughs> put to good use so God, and there was stupid stuff i don't think i've ever done anything ridiculous because when i was you know before sort of 15 years ago i didn't have it to do that so i, I was mm. careful not to just waste money but i wasn't very good at saving it either i kind of spent right. everything uh, that was coming in so no sort of really stupid financial skeletons in the closet i bet you something will occur to me though as we uh, carry on this conversation <laughs> if it does I'll be, yeah. <laughs> so why do you think like most people are just generally rubbish with their money like most people if you ask them they'll be like yeah i don't really manage my money well yeah, I, I, and we don't teach it in school, but I, I sometimes think, well, even if we did, it would listen. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, that's true. If, if you taught it to a 16-year-old, they'd be like, I, I just want to buy 
Nike trainers and <laughs> you know Xbox credit and stuff like that. I mean, I, I have two teen- teenage daughters, so I know what they spend their money on, and that's cool. That's what it's for, you know. They're they're working on the weekends and they want to uh, spend it on stuff they like. And so I, I think even if you went into school and taught, well, you know, this is how debt works, and uh, these are the dangers of credit cards and store cards. Everybody just be like, you know, why is this gray haired or get telling me about stuff I don't care about yet. But I think, I think people sort of, um, you really start growing up and experience what it's like to handle your own money full time when you mm. leave the nest. For many of us, that's going to university or if we get our first job, because suddenly then you've got to think about tax. You, you mm. get a pay slip and that's got tax and national insurance. You know, what does that even mean? So I, uh, you know, I would love to see perhaps when you get your first job, some kind of mandatory course that you go through or something, or everybody just listen to me, of course. But um, I <laughs> just think we're, we're bad at it because it's like you're not born learning how to drive, knowing how to drive a car. You have to learn that stuff. Right. And you learn it when you're ready, really. Um, I think we should find some way of, making sort of financial knowledge accessible when people are ready for it. And it really isn't rocket science. Uh, Anybody can learn it and learn it very quickly. Um, So I think that's one reason we don't teach it. And the other reason is there's loads of really nice things to spend our money on. Okay. I'm eyeing up your (laughs) AirPods. Boys, all right. That's the sort of thing I would spend my money on. Okay, I got my nice sort of Beats headphones here. These are the things that are attractive, and there's always stuff you can spend your money on, and that sort mm. of tends to take priority. So, and finally, I suppose very often with personal finance, you're thinking reasonably long term, and mm. at 18 to 25, even to 30, the long term is far less relevant than the pressures of today. So it's hard to balance those things. So I don't blame anybody for being bad with their money, not least because I wrote the book on that until I got married. I was dreadful. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So obviously for for our audience, we we talk to a lot of students and um, graduates and kind of people transitioning uh, through the, pretty much that age range that you just described, you know, early 20s through to early 30s, that's kind of our, our core audience. Um, so specifically with young people, what do you, is, is there any particular mistakes that you're making or are you, do you just think, um, you know, this is the time to enjoy your money, go gung-ho now and then and then worry about it later? <laughs> Yeah, it definitely is the time to enjoy your money. You know, I, this sort of life stage of young, free, and single is is a golden time. You know, you'll probably, in many ways, never be richer than you are. And I, I don't say that sounds really glib, but but, but you know what I mean. Well, yeah. I suppose what I mean by that is that there's relatively few um, uh, draws on your resources. You know, yeah. if you haven't got kids yet, you know, um, you know, I've got a, my eldest daughter passed a driving test. Uh, about six, seven weeks ago, she'd kill me for saying this, but within three weeks, she'd scraped the only Tesla Model S within about 100 miles of here. She'd found it <laughs> in a car park and managed to scrape it, right? So kids cost money. She probably just wanted a closer <laughs> look. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah not that close. So do you know what I mean? Kids cost money, um, houses cost money, all that sort of stuff. You get to start working and you're paying into a pension, stuff like that. So there's, there's probably fewer drains on your resources in this early stage um as possible so you should enjoy that i'm I'm all for that you know money is for using you might not be here in five years time depressingly probably you will but um you, there's certainly an aspect of living for today which i think you should grab and enjoy um, so embrace the yolo totally yeah man 
<laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm down with the YOLO. Um, but <laughs> I, I think as in with all things financial, you should bring balance and be intentional about it. So the, mm. the problem I think with throwing all cautious to the wind when you said going all gung-ho, I think if you do that, it's a kind of a... Uh, an abdication of your responsibility, really. Right. You know, yeah. if, if money comes to you, you have a responsibility to put it to good use. And one of those good uses is having a great time, right? And mm-hmm. it's a perfectly good use of money. But I also think if if you're going to do that, you need to decide to do that. And if you decide to do that completely, you are uh, sort of by definition deciding not to do some other stuff. You're deci- deciding not to join your employer's pension scheme, maybe. You're deciding uh, not to um, spend a couple hours a month setting a budget and, and sticking mm-hmm. to it. So as long as you do it intentionally, I don't have an issue. The problem is most of us just think, sorry, I'm not going to bother. And I'm just going to, I know what I've got coming in. I'll spend it all in the first three weeks and then not eat for the last week before I get paid again. And then the cycle begins again. And that's Mm -hmm. just a little bit, it's a little bit hands off. It's a little bit, um, yeah, uh, abdication really of what, uh, Mm -hmm. what is, you could do with it. I was reading an article the other day and it was sort of saying that actually millennials are some of the best savers out there. It's just that they're saving for things that actually the older generation would say, well, that's not responsible. So like they're easily saved to travel the world. They'll easily save to make sure they can eat out at a restaurant three, four times a week. They happily pay seven quid for an avocado toast, etc. <laughs> so it, <laughs> so is that kind of, on that guy. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so is that kind of philosophy? I think like you say, I think, is it that, now the consequences for millennials in terms of being kind of carefree, are they being carefree for longer? So like we're in our sort of later end of the twenties and still we want to be traveling three, four times a year. We want to make sure we can eat out with friends. And so actually, is it actually more dangerous for us to fall into that mindset nowadays because of like you read these books as well. If you start saving when you're 16, then by the time you're 30 or if you do the right things, you could be at least better, maybe financially freer than you think you were before. So it's kind of maybe maybe when you were younger, the consequences of that YOLO mentality was less bad, really. And so is it that millennials are kind of stretching out a little too far? <laughs> God, maybe. You know, yeah, if you start saving when you're 16, when you're 30, you too can still be living in your parents' basement with no friends and, <laughs> you know, and uh, sort of dubious body smells. But, you know, I have loads of money in the bank. Um, balance, all right? So you can fall into that. I, I happen to think we're... Um, we've yet to see the consequences of this. And I think the world is changing so cataclysmically that we've yet to see how this is going to pan out. The millennial generation, um, have both a pretty raw deal compared to the generations before, I think, in many ways. So you won't get the benefit of soaring house prices. You won't get the benefits of high inflation, which reduces debt quickly and all that sort of stuff. Um, you will leave university with large, uh, debts. I've got, views on that as well. But certainly with that, with payment coming out of your payslip, because you've got to pay your student loans back. So you will come out with these things. However, no generation prior has had the internet to the extent. Okay. Mm. And we're, we're only getting started with what that might make possible. Um, you know, by the time a 30 year old now gets to 75, which would have been life expectancy 40 years ago, probably you're still going to have 30 years left or 25 years left in the best health that any generation prior that has got to age 75 will have and incredible tools for you to be able to work, earn money, travel the world, either physically or virtually. So just there's a million things that might happen in the future 
which we just don't understand yet. So I, I really want people to enjoy their money, but also understand you're going to live longer than any generation before. And having options in the future requires a certain amount of sacrifice now, but it doesn't have to be all or nothing. Um, so mm-hmm. definitely, you know, enjoy life now, but understand that you're going to, if you're going to really enjoy the future as well, you might want to be thinking about that sooner rather than later. And it, it doesn't, the balance between those two can change over time and does as life throws things at you. Mm-hmm. So that answer the I, question. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Um, I quite like to, uh, dive into this idea about millennials being a financial disadvantage, at least as today stands with the soaring house prices and um you know the the cost of living going up um particularly if you're because as a as a generation particularly in this country we head straight to london because that's where all the opportunity is um yep. and the, and in so doing voluntarily increase our living costs also with the um salaries obviously stagnating they talk a lot about that at the mm-hmm. moment yeah um what advice would you really give to millennials as a general thing on really kind of trying to to mitigate that hmm. <laughs> okay uh, which i know is a massive yes. can of worms i'm just about to open yeah no that that's fine um one of the first things you can do to mitigate it is not to sort of wallow in it Okay. Yeah. I have precious little time for anybody that whines about their circumstances. Now, there are always we were having that conversation going, you know? on the way here. Actually, <laughs> well, you know, if there, there's always people worse off. You know, if you're born with a disability, or you know, still uh, minorities have just dreadful odds stacked against them, which shouldn't mm. be the case in 2017, but it is. Yeah. Um, but. Even so, you can turn your energy to making the best of all those things. So that's the first thing I'd say. And that's not financial. That's a mindset thing. Yeah. you know, you've only got to spend five minutes listening to somebody like Gary Vaynerchuk, you know, who's a Russian immigrant to the U.S., had all kinds of odds stacked against him, but his family just grafted. And I think you right. can turn any circumstance around, right? Absolutely. Plenty of examples of that. So don't bleat about circumstances. Instead, turn your attention and your energy to what you can do about that. Um, so and there are many... Uh, opportunities for you to make money now, probably many more varied than there have been before. Mm-hmm. The very fact that you and I are talking from opposite ends of the country and we can do it from opposite ends of the world very easily in perfect yeah. high definition audio and video, it brings all kinds of things uh, to the fore. Mm-hmm. Just here in my practice here, I mean, I'm in Penzance. It's the arse end of the country, right? It's very pretty. <laughs> it's very beautiful, but it is miles from anywhere, right? I'm yeah. 10 miles from Land's End. So... Uh, but I have clients, seven-figure clients, all around the country because of the wonders of the internet. All right? right. So that brings opportunities to me which might not have been there 25 years ago, and that's the same for any uh, for anybody. I think there's opportunities, ways of making money, uh, ways of um, perhaps changing your life that weren't available. 20 years ago. So mm-hmm. that's the first thing I'd say: mindset, and then actually sort of finding ways to do something about it. But yeah, you know, all the sort of key opportunities seem to be in London or maybe certainly the major cities. And with that comes um, financial pressures as well. I think we're going to need to, uh, I think there will be a significant change in mindset. We are obsessed with property ownership in this country. Mm -hmm. That doesn't translate to Europe. You go to somewhere like Germany, there isn't the rate of home ownership that there is here. Yeah. I think 
a lot of it here stems back to the sort of Margaret Thatcher in the 70s and 80s with the whole sort of right to buy thing, people buying their council houses, which was a great thing in many ways, got people to own tangible property that they could touch and feel, and it gives a sense of wealth and well-being. Of course, they never replaced all that social housing, which is why we've got a huge problem now. But mm -hmm. I, I think we're just going to have to change. I mean, if the average yeah. house price is what? Something like 280000 or something? Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, to find a 15% deposit, is 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 practically impossible for your average millennial, right? right? So you're going to have to think of something else. You either wait for your parents to die or your grandparents, which is a little bit mercenary. Um, and, <laughs> and they're living way too long now as well. <laughs> well, exactly. Exactly. So you can get on the housing ladder when you're 60. I mean, so I... I think we're going to have to rethink some of this stuff. I think yeah. people are going to be renting more. And that, obviously, there's a certain amount of uh, flexibility to that. You don't know when you might be given notice and stuff like that. But if you're mm. a good tenant and you, you pay on time, that, that, that can work really well. But the sort of fluidity can also work for you there you can right. you know, many jobs from anywhere in the world absolutely you, know, you guys are talking about traveling and stuff like that you still want to do that well you can do that and still work in this mm. new sort of uh, age that we're living in so i just think we're going to have to have a paradigm shift and i don't even think we're really getting started i think 50 yeah. years from now there'll be a fraction of the people owning owning property mm -hmm. than there is now i just can't see any other way of that panning out so yeah, it's going to be a mindset change yeah and i think i think you're right in this idea of um, actually there are benefits to renting and I think there is there has been for so long now particularly since we were children um, this aspiration of you know one of uh, one of those boxes, exactly it, yeah. one of those boxes to tick in your life is own your own home um, which which as you say was probably from the Thatcher generation of um, home, home ownership which is now it's possible for everyone so now you should take that opportunity because yeah. that opportunity has been given to you. Whereas actually prior to that, that probably wasn't such a life ambition for everyone. And so as a generation, we've seen our parents um, buy their own homes. And so in turn, we've gone, ah, that's how you have a successful life is you own your own home and then you spend the rest of your life paying off that mortgage. And then that's yours. You own that now. Mm -hmm. um, and I think what, what the the millennial generation is therefore so obsessed with home ownership i think we haven't actually considered the other options that are available to us yeah. and i think that's part of the problem i think a lot of people end up renting their entire lives until they inherit their parents property yeah mm -hmm. you know but eventually that'll that'll well i imagine that'll stop money doesn't keep going down generations because eventually somebody will spend it all so yeah i just think it's an interesting time i don't know what the answer is i just no. think it's going to change beyond recognition yeah. but i know for me because in my circumstances like i lived at, as soon as i finished university i was living at home with my mum, and so my mentality was like that whole thing spend as little as possible and just increase the ability to earn so like, i left my job i went freelance my income increased i was man I was able to save a lot more money and that kind of allowed me to create that nest egg but i think a lot of people aren't lucky enough to be able to live in london have a very cheap place to live and so i think it is that sort of balance but in the same time i think a lot of people are realizing like you said there that it will take you your lifetime to save that enough that for that deposit so a lot of what we talk about on the podcast is obviously this idea that you have to find a way to increase your earnings that's the only other way around it and so I don't know what sort of advice you'd have on that. Obviously, we are big proponents of that sort of freelance, that gig economy, that sort of 
maybe starting yes. a business i'm freelance and i have businesses as well but that not everybody has that ability to do it, it took us years for us to even learn how to do that so it seems to be something yeah. that a lot of young people are thinking about how they can earn these little extra pieces of money somewhere else yeah i, I love the fact that you emphasize that so much and so clearly on your site because there are two ways to get richer one is to spend less you know, nobody gets excited about that. Um, and the other is to earn more. And we always, certainly people in my profession tend to sort of preach the former. Well, you know, you need to control your finances and that's all true, but you know, there's two sides of the same coin. So, you know, anything from, you know, uh, you sort of Airbnb, if you happen to do, if you do have a property, which a lot of people don't obviously, or just, yeah, gig economy stuff. You and I have, you know, both got websites, we've written eBooks, you know, if you've got knowledge about anything, you can sell it online fairly easily and you could just buy things off the shelf to be able to enable you to do that. You know, you don't have to be a web developer these days. Um, you know, I set up meaningful money myself. I'd learned how to edit audio it's not hard but you know i watched a few youtube videos about how to set up a podcast studio and and, and i did it so you can learn how to do anything uh and you can do anything you turn your mind to so it doesn't have to be large amounts the danger then is that that all gets spent and that's where the financial controls mm. uh come in so i'm all for adding more in the top but if the same amount extra goes out of the bottom on mm -hmm. airpods and, and stuff then <laughs> not judging <laughs> you're, just, you're just jealous <laughs> i am totally jealous <laughs> so I, know, I know when i was sort of getting in because i was in that same mentality and i think a lot of it that people don't consider is how psychological money is for people mm. and i know i grew up in a very sort of poor household where you're told get those lights off don't fill your bath up too high and all these sort of things and i I think we often like overlook how much they're on that sort of subconscious level. Obviously, you're not a psychologist, you're into money and more practical ways, but I'm sure yeah. that's something you probably consider. You can probably see that in your seven-figure clients. They probably have a very different psychology uh, around money. Yeah, I'll tell you what, that's a really, really good point, Jeremy. It's, um, there is so much psychology about money it's not an inert force you know we learn lessons from the cradle really about money a uh, massive one for me as i've sort of alluded to i was so bad with money as a student i mean i used to close my eyes when i went to the cash machine i had no idea whether it would give me any money it was like a almost like a you know like a slot machine put my card in maybe it'll give me money maybe it won't i don't know um you know i wrote countless letters to my bank manager asking to extend my overdraft and all that sort of stuff i was just really bad with it um now i was never taught anything at home about financial management now my mother i, I dare say would take issue with that but i'm telling you i watched my brother have some lessons so he's 10 years older than me so i was six i remember him being sat down by my dad this is how you write a check this is how you write down what's gone out this is where you keep a record of it so that you know if it's a few days till that check gets presented you haven't got that money anymore that's accounted for and now i remember him sitting down and having that conversation with my big brother but i never had that same conversation and if ever i asked my parents about their finances you know how much do you earn dad the immediate answer about anything like that was that's none of your business son mm. right so it was a grown-up thing and i still only just about consider myself a grown-up so i almost felt like i had no right to understand money mm. and so you know then i went to university the bank manager gave me two credit cards without me asking for them. They, they just gave them, I don't know why two, but those are the days when you had MasterCard and you had Visa and you got both. And, um, 
you know, but nobody taught me how to use them. So you mm. kind of have to find your feet. And I didn't really. So those lessons are pretty deeply ingrained in me. Um, I also, I mean, I never, I remember getting a barking from my mum because I was working, I was doing shifts at McDonald's as a 16 year old and I needed some new trainers. And mum said, well, perhaps you can contribute to them with your money from mcdonald's i was thinking i haven't got any of it i was spending it all in the canteen at school you know and i had to admit that and i never talked to my parents about money because they never talked to me about it and that even then carried on when i was going out with my well actually we were engaged then we were going away for the weekend which had been paid for my by by my big brother and it was all lovely so they paid for the b&b and everything but i had to admit to my wife to be in the car on the way to the Brecon Beacons that I didn't have any money to spend that weekend. I literally had nothing. How, how she still married me, I don't know. Cause that was, but that was a real pivotal moment. And these, all these things sort of build up and they become a sort of money psychology and getting over that can be really, really difficult. Um, so yes, you're dead right. Money comes with all kinds of hangups and uh, mm. things you've got to try and get over both positive and negative, I have to say, but I, in my experience, a lot of them tend to be negative. We need to be really careful about the language we use around money. Um, um, you know, uh, many of us grown up saying, well, we can't afford that. We can't afford mm. that. That might be true, but it, it, there's ways perhaps you could word that slightly different so that it doesn't feel like a gut wrenching sort of disappointment or whatever. So I think we need to be careful about the language that we use and, um, and not, we need to try not to be hung up with those things, but mm. it does take time to get over. But my experience says that you actually, you can learn to get over those things by saying, right, I'm going to learn how to behave with money. I'm going to learn what I need to do, which is generally very simple. Um, and money is actually very easily wielded. It's very easily bent into shape mm. uh, with just some basic controls, but we don't teach those. So, you know, yeah. you can get over psychology with some good management. Yeah, I think one of the one of the interesting breakthroughs for me psychologically around money, because you know, I moved to, to London with... I think a thousand pounds in the bank, um, which was a very brave move at the time, which I didn't really <laughs> comprehend how brave that was then. Um, and that I had to pay for the deposit on my flat, the first month's rent and then to, to live. And, and I was actually for the first two or three years in London, um, really, the, it was not a... Um, equal equation i was spending more than i was bringing in every month guaranteed and um it was a it was a big big stress on me and um i remember constantly being stressed about money and then my housemate once said something which has still stuck with me four years later which was um really just don't worry about the money the money will come just enjoy it and it will come and once as soon as that kind of switch changed in my mind that's when the fortune started to turn around and it was kind of like well actually just enjoy it don't stress about it enjoy it and more money will come and because I was kind of more open to the money coming more money came and it was a really interesting shift which is all about the mindset it, it wasn't that yeah that because the world didn't go ah you're happier now so therefore we're going to give you more money there was just there was something yeah. that in my behavior changed because I changed that mindset and I think that's exactly also, it falls into that kind of that whole limbic lizard. I think like you're saying about in the you can't future plan if you're fearing whether you're going to make next month's rent. And I'm sure that's why 
you don't find those people going to you, which are probably the people that most need a financial planner, is usually the people that are struggling the most because yeah. they, they are in that mindset that they're living, like people say you hear on the articles, like people are a couple of months away from homelessness if because they've got nothing in the bank. How many of my friends I know, I say to them, it comes to the end of the month and they're like, no, I can't go out because I have nothing left. And it's kind of, yeah. I think a lot of people fall into that because a lot of the time you are in that sort of stress mode when it comes to money, so you cannot plan ahead. You're dead right. I mean, we have, as an industry and the government, have completely disenfranchised the people who really need financial advice, mm. simply because I have so many compliance hoops to jump through now that I have to charge somebody a thousand quid before I can take them on as a client. So, I mean, who's going to do that if they need to start mm. paying 50 quid a month to do an ISA or something? You know, I'm going to I'm going to charge them the first year and a bit, year and a half's worth of payments. I don't make any right. sense. That was without question the biggest factor in starting meaningful money is like I've, I've got to do more than just help rich people get richer right I've got to uh, help people apply this knowledge that really need to apply it mm. um, so yeah mindset is key for sure and um, and access to good information so that you can learn how to do this stuff and then a decision that you're going to do it we're going to be right big teases now just cut it off we did just just when just the good right stuff, there. when it was all warming up when you were, when you were really into it taking notes we just we just like gave it to you and we, we, we just took yeah, it away got away a whole just week took now. it away just just like taking candy from a baby <laughs> <laughs> um stretching that metaphor out there <laughs> <laughs> um but i'm sure you will agree great so far um but if you want the full the full thing you're gonna have to come back next week i'm sorry guys i'm sorry (laughs) (laughs) um at the end of um the second part (laughs) i'm gonna say this now at the end of the second part spoiler um (laughs) pete um has said that he will dive into the comments on the show notes of this episode uh if you have any questions so please do feel free to go over uh to powerfulnonsense.com forward slash 179 Hop into the uh, comments at the bottom of the page and uh, Pete will uh, make an effort to to pop in, have a look and answer any questions. Um, also, do check out his podcast. Um, wow. I don't know what that was, but I hope that's not my uh I hope that wasn't your computer. Mac. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if you heard that, but that was like... That was like an earthquake. <laughs> that's, a, that's a substantial bang in my room um, from a very crazed cat. But <laughs> but do check out Pete's podcast, uh, Meaningful Money. Um, a great, great little podcast. Uh, so check that out. Um, and make sure you come back next week for part two, is all I'm going to say. Um, so on that note, uh, we'll wrap it up there. Uh, please leave a review at uh, iTunes. Five stars or more would be greatly appreciated. And we will see you next week for part two of our interview with Pete Matthew. See you later.